Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Dr. Rachel Cowart is a research psychologist and the research director of the nonprofit organization Take This. She is a world-renowned researcher on the uses and effects of digital games, including their impact on physical, social, and psychological well-being. She's spoken about her work to thousands of people across the globe, including the United States Congress, the UN, and Department of Homeland Security. An award-winning author, she has published a variety of books and scientific articles relating to the psychology of games, and more recently, the relationship between games and mental health specifically. Recently, she founded her YouTube channel, Psychgeist, which serves to bridge the gap between moral panic and scientific knowledge on a variety of psychology and game-related topics. In 2021, Dr. Cohort was chosen as a member of the Game Awards Future Class, representing the best and brightest of the future of video games. And to learn more about Rachel and her work, you can go to rcohort.com. We're also gonna talk a little bit about how Rachel is starring in the Princesses with Power Tools calendar. So we'll get to that. But welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the lovely introduction. We have so much to talk about. I, I wanted to like jam it all into the introduction, but I thought maybe we should save some of it too. <laughs> well, okay, let's, first of all, before we really get started, why don't we talk about how we got here in the first place? You're part of our, you're here as part of our partnership with Reinvented Magazine and the Princesses with Power Tools calendar. Reinvented is a groundbreaking magazine all about women in STEM. And one of their goals is to show that women don't have to choose between being an engineer and being a princess if they want to. You can be powerful just being you. So you can be yourself, whether that's a princess or not, and you can make it in STEM in the trades. And any dichotomy that's created by our culture or the media is false and we reject it. Yes, we do. So every year, yes. Every year, Print Reinvented publishes a calendar called the Princesses with Power Tools calendar. And each month on the calendar, a different woman in STEM is featured. And so Rachel, you are going to be in the 2023 calendar, right? Yeah. All right, why don't you tell what, who are you going to be dressed up as in the calendar? I am so lucky. I got my favorite, favorite Disney princess, uh, <gasps> Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so you are, so you are a princess girl. I am a princess girl. I am, <laughs> especially, you know, Belle really spoke to me in the mid nineties. It was like uh -huh. peak Disney era for me. <laughs> um, so yes, for sure. Okay. So tell us, did you get to do the photo shoot yet? Did you dress up and do it? I did. And it, and it's All right. fun. <laughs> I was I was gonna do a modern interpretation of Belle. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, what would Belle look like if she lived in 2022 and like mm -hmm. studied video games? And in the end, you know what? I just I I went for it. I went for the ball gown. I just did it. I, nice. <laughs> I went full on Belle. <laughs> was that so much fun? So much fun. So much so, fun. 
when you chose Belle, um, was there any relationship between the character and your career? Um, I think a, a bit. I mean, she really, is, you know, reflects actually who I've kind of become later in life, you know, knows in a book. I have a PhD. Mm -hmm. I've read a lot of books, um, you know, wants to make her own path. She doesn't really want the path that's set out for her by society. Mm -hmm. um, and she has a, her dad who supports her in all of her quirky curiosities. And I was very lucky that my parents um, did the same for me. A dad who supports her. That's interesting. I was just talking about I just did like a recap episode and one of the themes that I see going through with many of our guests is very supportive dads. Oh yeah. yeah important. Just, <laughs> just talking about that and, or, or, you know, just male figures. Yeah. So what was the experience like for you? What did it feel like when you were dressing up in a, <laughs> dressing up in a ball gown and getting your photo yeah. photos done? Was this like you very know? separate from your, your scientist life? Your, your uh, life? Yes, it varies greatly. Uh, usually my scientist life is me in pajamas in front of a computer with <laughs> yeah. amounts of coffee. Um, yeah, it was, it was everything I knew. I didn't know I needed. Like it was so fun to just do something completely out of the ordinary, but like also living your dreams. Like as a kid, you think Disney princesses are maybe a thing that can actually exist in the world yeah <laughs> um and then you grow up and you get a job and you have children and um you realize that's not necessarily real life but just for you know an hour that day that was yeah. I was in the gown I was surrounded by books it was amazing I can't even imagine how much fun that must have been <laughs> yeah it was super fun all right let's talk about you how would you describe your job a lot of our audience um we have, we have a variety of women at, fair, at different ages. So some of them might be younger, like still in college, looking toward their careers and deciding what they want to do. And others, um, you know, are CEOs of companies. So go ahead and describe your job to our audience um, so that maybe everyone could understand it. My job, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny trying to describe it in an easy way. You ask an <laughs> academic to describe anything yes. in an easy way and it's very hard. Um, the so losing I'm, battle. <laughs> yes. I am the research director um, at Take This. And at Take This, we provide mental health resources and information for people who work in video game industry, but mm -hmm. also people who play games. So there's a lot of misconceptions about what video games are and what video games aren't. And we try to provide resources that are kind of tailored to the community of people um, who play games. So I drive all the research. So if there's a question like, are video games addictive? For instance, that's a common question that people ask. I develop new ways to answer that question in scientific, mm -hmm. in scientific ways, and then provide that information in a way that the public and parents and educators can all understand. Are video games addictive? Uh, no. So <laughs> video games in and of themselves are not addicting. The research doesn't support that there's something really unique about games that make okay. them somehow compulsively addicting. They okay. are engaging, but they're designed to do that because they're supposed to be fun. Oh, okay. It's it's complicated. I talk about it more on my YouTube channel. Like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, I'm long gonna, answer. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and the YouTube channel is great. Um, yeah. We'll it made for that. that purpose exactly right so that's part yeah. of my job like how do I take this information and and give it to people in a way that's understandable because I can write an academic article that's kind of hard to read um so I have like five to seven minute YouTube videos that explain this kind of stuff yeah so what what okay well we let's talk about that now then so yeah. what your YouTube channel is called Psychgeist right Psychgeist yeah make, make sure I'm saying it right um and it's really aimed at educating the average person 
mm-hmm. to understand about uh, some of the work that you do. Yes. Can you tell us like, what, what made you decide to do that? I get a lot of questions from parents a lot about are games addicting or are video games going to make my child violent? And I was hearing the same questions over and over and it's great for me to answer them individually, but I thought, how can I just like catalog these answers in a space in which somebody asks and I can just say, go here and I can direct you here. Um, so that was really why I made the YouTube channel. Um, so parents and educators, you know, would have that resource that they could go to somebody who studies this, somebody who does this for a living, an expert in the field, providing, you know, short kind of soundbite type answers to these really big questions that we all have. Yeah. So what would be, what's your most popular video? The most popular video is about moral panic, um, which is kind of like this, you know, panic that we have that video games are kind of destroying a generation and, and it kind of draws back the curtain on why we as humans always kind of want simple answers to complex problems and how that's all part of that. Okay. Yeah. My husband, when, when we first met, um, he was really into gaming. Uh, we were still in grad school, so there was time (laughs) to still game. You know, there was, when I was in grad school, I had time too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, not so much these days, but anyway, so he, but when we first, when we had our first child um I my husband was really excited to get him to be old enough to get him into video games and now we regret it oh no <laughs> uh no I mean we, we 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 like it a little bit but it's it's very in demand it's a very in demand activity in our household let's put it that way definitely and like I said it's, it's meant to be engaging the problem happens when it's the only thing somebody does but yeah that, like said, obviously for anything it shouldn't be the only thing that people do and and games yeah. are particularly compelling right they're fun everyone wants to play them so yeah it can be a battle is it like just in the general category of screen time or does is it different like so what I'm trying to ask is um when doctors say like you can have one children should have one hour of screen time per day yeah uh no I think games I think that that um blanket rule is is not really productive uh, in a modern life yeah um you know my kids talk for 30 minutes alone to their grandma almost every day on on facetime right i'm not considering that part of like this kind of nebulous screen time. oh can you imagine um, how the protest if that was counted as screen time no i know <laughs> oh my gosh i know my kids i never get the end of it um but games you know you have to think they serve a lot of functions right they serve a social function if they're playing with friends they can serve an education function you know my daughter plays a lot of minecraft she is learning reading and math and mental rotation and like there is value yeah so um yeah i don't like the idea of treating screen time as all equal because we have to think about what function it's serving yeah and what do you think about um kids having access to just jump on whenever they want do you think it should be like a regulated time frame Mm. Um, I think it depends on the age of the child and also their ability to self-regulate. Yeah. Um, because I think if you have open access for some children, that will mean they they are have the inability to really regulate how much time they're playing, whereas other children have a much better ability. So child on child, child for child basis, but also with age, right? You have to give your kids a little more leeway. You tend to give them more leeway as they get older. True. So now I need to know this though. Are you a gamer yourself? Um, I am. I mean, I consider myself a gamer. I haven't played a game in a long time because I have three children. Because <laughs> you're kind of um, busy. <laughs> I'm a gamer who doesn't game anymore. Yeah. Um, but yes, I would consider myself a gamer. Someone with a love of games. And what what games did you used to play when you back when you yeah. did? Yeah. You know, I love the like 100 hour games, like the Final Fantasies and the Legends of Zelda's and the Skyrim's and the things I really have no time to play. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
these days, but you know, I still, I play every once in a while. I'll do like a Mario party or an animal mm-hmm. crossing, uh, every now and then. With the kids? With the kids. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and so this was something you loved. I mean, you mentioned you got into like, these are like a long 100 hour games, Legend of Zelda. I mean, this is like deep video game community, yeah. like hardcore stuff. So how did you, did, is this how you got into studying it? Cause you were already interested in like the video game community and gaming yeah you know it, I, I kind of happened into it because I was studying to become a therapist mm-hmm. um and it was this was 2008 which was really the peak like World of Warcraft era and mm-hmm. at that time there was a lot of concern from parents about like online gaming and um is it having some kind of negative social impact on these kids who are playing all these online games and um, since I was studying to be a therapist, I was doing therapy as part of my program. And I kept seeing parents with the same concerns about World of Warcraft specifically. And full disclosure, at the time, I was playing so much World of Warcraft <laughs> that I was like, okay, <laughs> people seem real concerned. And now I'm concerned because I think I should be. Um, but at the time, you know, research in this area, it, it didn't exist. There, mm. there was two papers maybe from Stanford and that was it. So that's when I realized I, I could pivot my career to a more research-based versus a more clinically practical-based um, and get these answers that parents were having about the effects of games. So at the time that you were a therapist and you realized this, is that before you went to get your PhD? Correct. Yeah. So that, I, I, that was then when I decided to get my PhD and, and not, I did finish my master's, but I never got licensed in practice therapy. I went straight into a research career. Okay. Got it. And what, so you have an an organization take that you're working with take this can you tell us about that organization yeah so take this is the first mental health nonprofit to form that serves the gaming industry and gaming community um they formed in 2014 i want to say and uh the primary aim is to provide to destigmatize mental health challenges and provide Mm -hmm. mental health support to the industry and community and and how do they do that uh, we have a website of resources uh, like therapist directories and links to different hotlines. And we also provide workshops to members of the industry about things that are particularly relevant to people within the industry, like burnout or harassment. Um, I know we're going to talk about women in the industry mm-hmm. that's particularly relevant to uh, non-men in the industry, hate and harassment, that sort of thing. So we advocate both publicly on um, public facing work, but also internally within the industry with, with things like educational workshops and that sort of stuff. Yeah. We, I do want to talk about some of the issues that are being faced by women and girls in the gaming world. Um, before we do that, what I just, I want to know, what is the state of women and girls in gaming right now? Is it, are, are, are a lot of girls and women gaming? A lot of girls and women are participating in gaming as a leisure activity. They make up just about half of all people who play games. Um, you wouldn't know it necessarily based on the stereotype of the gamer still being very much kind of like yeah. male, bro, hardcore um, gamer. But women, yes, make up more than half of people who play games. More than half? Yeah. I think it's like 55% or something. Why do you think that is? Um, well, they say it's, it's, you know, from the rise of casual games. So the rise of being able to play games on your phone when you're, you know, mm-hmm. waiting for the bus or, or that sort of thing. Those games tend to be more accessible. So a lot of kind of the traditional, maybe the Legend of Zelda's or maybe the first person shooter type games. Well, plenty of women play those. Don't get me wrong. Um, they historically have been less played by women, mm-hmm. whereas women tend to like more um, social games 
games that they can play with their friends, things like words with friends, mm -hmm. um, or games that are easy to kind of pick up and put down, like the bejeweled um, type games, little like puzzle games. And with the popularity of those expanding and also the accessibility um, expanding, like the ability to have it on our phones, um, that has brought more women into the fold. That's so interesting because these are obviously games that you're mentioning, words with friends and that kind of thing. But is like I do women who play that like identify like I'm a gamer. Mm. I feel like no. Good question. That's a different <laughs> question. Right. So gamer is traditionally uh it's a social identity, right? So it's yeah. not the behavior. There's a player versus a gamer. Women are less prone to adopt the title of gamer, typically because of the stereotypes that mm. come that are the connotation that comes with the idea of being a gamer. Mm. So the idea that you're a a Caucasian male, perhaps aggressive, perhaps somebody who is prone to um, sexist language, that sort of stuff. So there are many, many women um, who will say, I play games, even if I play the 100 hour games, I play all the Final Fantasies, but I'm not going to call myself a gamer because I don't want to be associated with that term mm -hmm. in that community. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. My daughter, who's nine, um, has been gaming since she was about, well, she's been playing Minecraft since she was about five. And at school, she she still faces like comments like mm -hmm. you you don't you you don't play Minecraft. You're a girl. You don't play. Same. Yeah, that's um sexist. <laughs> yeah, she gets. I try to teach her. I think that's misogynist. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, when somebody says that, you say stop being misogynist. Yeah. 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 I mean, and and it's a. PR problem, I'm going to yeah. say, not even just a PR problem, because there are inherent, um, there are inherent, what's the word I'm looking for, discrimination mm -hmm. towards women in gaming communities, historically and, and present um, still today. And part of that is that, oh, you, you can't possibly be a real gamer. You can't possibly play those games because you're a girl. And, and mm -hmm. that's just nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. So that's, it's that whole, and we're, we're going to talk about perception of girls in the media a little bit when we talk about um the book that you wrote yeah. but um as far as women so the state of women in gaming is that women are more than half which is really interesting but they're not acknowledging that they're not necessarily taking on the title of gamer for many reasons what would you say are some of the other main issues that are being faced by women and girls in the gaming industry today yeah well in the gaming industry they make up a small percentage. Okay. Like in, <laughs> so in the game creation. In okay. game creation, they are still very much a minority. And for the women who do work in the game industry, they face a lot of challenges. We've seen in the last year, several headlines, for instance, at Blizzard Entertainment, we saw it years before at Riot Games, where women are experiencing systemic discrimination and harassment um, in the workplace. Um, just as being females or, or non-men, we see this also with... with um, anyone who's not a man uh, in, the, in the gaming industry experiencing, you know, active sexual harassment and, and discrimination and being passed over for job promotion and all of these kinds of things. So for women in, in games, that is that is a primary um, concern that they're experiencing today actively. And are there organizations, uh, for, like professional organizations that women belong to? Yeah, I mean, there's a women women in games is is a great organization. Um, there's also um, the Game Developers Association, the International Game Developers Association, um, does work for for women in games. But um, 
women still make up a minority. And so it's a, it's an uphill, it's an uphill battle. I mean, there's a lot of like ongoing lawsuits now to try and, and okay. there's also union efforts happening now to try and, and better protect women in this space. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so women, so one of the wish issues then is just in general being an, a minority group within and discriminated against minority group within the actual gaming creation industry. Do you see what games that are created by women or organizations that are headed by women as being more popular with girls? Yeah, definitely. Um, there are some gaming, uh, there are some indie developers. I can't think of the names offhand, but they exist in the world that are just all women teams for the purpose oh. of, I want to feel like I can work in this gaming space. Games are for everyone. They're meant to be for everyone, but I want to be in a space in which I feel safe. Right. Um, and the other thing to mention too, is I, I do believe that this is kind of a perpetual cycle. I've talked about this in my research before, um, where there's games are socialized from a young age from being something for boys, like we just talked about your daughter. And that leads to less women pursuing jobs in games, right? Women, mm -hmm. less women pursuing STEM careers generally, but that includes engineering ones associated with games, mm -hmm. which leads to an industry with fewer women. Mm -hmm. Then that leads to the creation of games with content that is more tailored to men. And right. it's a cycle that continues on. And so we have to figure out how do we get more women into STEM, how do we get more women into the industry to try and better break that cycle? But it's hard to encourage when we know when we get there that they're going to be mistreated. So we have to fix that part of the problem first. Yeah, that's an that's a very common, unfortunately, yeah. thing. I'm, I'm, you know, between industries, is, I, I come from my background is trucking, so it's the same thing. We need okay. we need yeah. workers, we need women. It's great. There's great. It's great pay. Yeah, there's a lot that you can accomplish, but we know we're sending people into an environment that's not friendly right so how right. do you do that how do you, how do you reconcile that and what, yeah. what can we do to stop it right um okay so issues any other issues that so i i guess i know one of the main areas of your research is exploring and you can correct me what it's called the dark participation in games yeah. um and this isn't the like sunniest topic no but um it's a lot of it is about violence and recruitment uh recruitment of the gamers or the players toward maybe um, some violent acts of violence, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that could be directed toward women and girls. Is that yeah? Yeah, my my current work focuses a lot on how games are being leveraged um, for radicalization of, of extreme acts. So uh, online radicalization leads to offline violence. We know that for a fact. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're just now starting to explore how that is playing itself out in games, which we know is a unique space um, where social relationships are formed um the friendships formed in games you tend to have a foundational level of trust because you're playing and doing something creative and fun together mm -hmm. and how is that being kind of leveraged in a way um to lead to offline acts of violence so yeah it's not like a super sunny topic but it is um a really important one as yeah. you know, a lot of us have kids who are playing games and we don't want this to be occurring uh in our spaces so um, actually, I just got word last week that I, I got a big research grant um, in, in collaboration with Middlebury and Logically AI from the Department of Homeland Security Congratulations. Um, to study. Yeah, thanks. To study this kind of stuff and to create a toolkit so we can better mitigate these actions in gaming spaces specifically. A toolkit for parents? A toolkit for, um, not parents, a toolkit for people in the industry mm. to better moderate their spaces so it's happening less. 
um, so parents can rest a little bit easier <laughs> that it's being taken care of from the top down before your children even enter the space. That's amazing. It's great. Now, a lot of these games that the kids play uh, are closed, meaning they can only, the parent has control over who they're speaking to, who they're playing mm-hmm. with, but mm-hmm. um, some of them aren't. And do you recommend to parents that they allow their children to play games with the general public? Ooh, um, ooh, I don't reckon, I don't know anyone's child better than they know their own child. Um, I think that, you know, when they're younger, parents can and should enact more limits on, on everything associated with being on the internet, uh, who they're engaging with, how much time they're spending in it, what, what places they're going. Um, and then hopefully, uh, teaching your child about, you know, the internet is a reflection of offline life and not everyone can be trusted. And these are how you stay safe. And as they get older, loosening those restraints um a bit as they get older so my my children are still young so they very much do not play with the general public right um but i imagine as they get older that's going to be a harder battle um to pick so my my goal as a parent is to teach them how to navigate this space how do i tell the difference between right wrong and if i see something that's wrong how do i report it or what steps do i take um to to make the space safer and so i feel comfortable and i'm curious um part of what you study is the effect of gaming on kids. Yes. Is our boys and girls affected differently by gaming? Mm-hmm. Um, not like across the board as a universal effect. You know, generally speaking, games have very little effects on us, really, just okay. generally, but all media, you could, they couldn't say that of all media. Yes. Um, the ways in which games, the roles that they play in our lives really varies kind of person to person more mm-hmm. than based on, on gender differences. But again, men and women tend to like different games. So women tend to like, they tend to play more social games. So that's going to have more social effects. Um, whereas men tend to show more of a, of a tendency to like single player games. So that's mm-hmm. going to show, you know, different effects as well. So. Okay. Um, and so speaking of the media in general, I know you have a nonprofit or actually, I'm sorry, you have, you have authored a book I have. that is about these issues. It's, it's sort of, it, it, uh, it deals with the issue of media and media culture and how it affects girls and how girls uh, and boys might perceive themselves in the culture. It's called the pragmatic princess. Can you talk about the book? Is it who's, first of all, who's it, who's the book for? The book is for kids. I say age two to 11, which is a wide range, but I will explain myself. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a collection of 26 stories, A to Z, and every character is a name and an adjective. So like Ava the Adventurous and Bella the Brave. Um, but the stories are a thousand words or less. So you can read one to a two-year-old and mm-hmm. it's short enough that it would retain their attention. But as they get older, more towards the 11, 12 age, the content of the story becomes far more relevant Mm -hmm. Um, so I wrote these stories because I have a daughter and I was tired of stories in which there were not female characters that were Mm -hmm. the main character or they always seemed to needed need a boy to help them save the day which was annoying to me Um, or they had to have superpowers so I'm like where's the everyday girl so it's uh I like to call this collection it's a celebration of the everyday girl doing everyday things with her everyday abilities um so it's 26 stories of everyday girls just kind of you know crushing it with their that's awesome and then is it illustrated obviously right it is illustrated by the lovely randall hampton um fully illustrated it's a 200 and something 
page book and it was kickstarted in 2019 and it raised uh, almost $30,000 in wow. 30 days. That's yeah. amazing. So I love that you, like many parents, myself included, encountered these books for children when you when you have children. So you want to find, find books maybe that you loved as a child or that are out now and you're reading them and you're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> every single character in this, like the Trek book, every single character in this book, you probably know what I mean. There's a, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, is a male, seriously? Like, yeah. And a woman wrote this. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, and I had, you know, I have a son, an older, my older child's a son, a boy. So, uh, I have to admit I, it didn't hit me as hard the first go around. Yeah. However, I did right. notice it. I did notice it. And, um, I did change some of the characters of genders, which mm -hmm. I think a lot of parents do that mm -hmm. dads and moms. Yeah. Because we just get sick of it. And so when yeah. we're reading it to our children, we just, we change the he, she, we change, you know, they, whatever we, we, we switch it up because why yeah. should all the characters be he? Yeah. Um, especially the non-people characters, I have to say. But, I know that's what's so annoying. Yeah. But, um, cause it's just a default, right? It's like a, a default to the he and that's that's super annoying and then yeah. when I have my girl um I found myself really even compensating more and instead of 50 50 and I just made every everybody I just everyone's everybody. girl yeah <laughs> because yeah. I figured you know what you're going to encounter enough he in the world yeah um so I love that you you created this book I think it's so yeah. important yeah um, thank you yeah it's really important and, and you know it's also important to show girls that from different backgrounds or from traditional, non-traditional families or from yeah. different levels of ability and disability. Like um, so one of the characters in the book, Ursula is hard of hearing and she uses sign language. And it's like, I don't think I've ever gotten a single book where the child uses sign language and it's not a story about, right about somebody that. who is hard of hearing, right? So it's like, okay. we need to just have a book that reflects our world. Um, and it's funny, you know, I found a lot of pushback from parents of boys, even my brother, I'm going to call my brother out, okay. brother. Um, he didn't want to get pragmatic princess for his boys because he's like, it's a book about girls. And it's like, but we read books about boys to our girls all the time. Yeah. We can absolutely, my son loves it. <laughs> we can read books about girls, uh, to our, to our son. So it's, it's really important to have this representation, this normalization of like girls can be the heroes of their own story. Absolutely. And I think boys if you know they if they're made aware of it then they can be part of the change 100%. they don't like they don't like unfairness no no that, that's it. a learned that's a learned behavior as we get older <laughs> like kids kids don't like it yeah yeah so well that's great so do you have any any plans to write any more books like about that um I don't have any more plans to write any books about that at the moment. I did actually publish a few topical stories based on the universe. Um, there's one called Invisible Friends, which is about make, talking to strangers on the internet. Um, that's available on Amazon that uses the characters from Pragmatic Princess to tell mm -hmm. kind of a, a topical short story. Um, so I, I would like to do more of those. Um, but also, you know, I got a, I got a lot going on. <laughs> But yeah. it is a fun yeah. side project that I do enjoy. You do have a lot going on. Yeah. Um. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, I, I actually, we talk about this on the podcast a lot because something that we as women in male populated industries have to deal with, especially if we are in the public eye, whether that be through our jobs or on social media, speaking out is the topic of trolls. Yes. So 
Um, when I say trolls, I'm not talking about someone who might disagree with us um, in general. I'm just talking about people who are doing it from like a background of hate, you know, hatred mm -hmm. or a feeling of like just anger. And um, it's something that we, you know, we put up with. So, yeah, you know, when when you what is your advice because i know you've probably i don't know maybe you've encountered it personally but i'm sure you've talked to a lot of people who've encountered it what's your advice on how to deal with that yeah you know there's um different ways to combat it mm -hmm. um a lot of times when i talk about it i talk about it in the context of gaming specifically and, and the advice yeah. i usually give for that is like what are the tools that you have within the space to first stop the action so is it reporting them is it blocking them is it muting them mm -hmm. um, almost every kind of internet interface will have some sort of option for you to just have some kind of like immediate response to like stop that interaction mm -hmm. um but also i think it's really important to be advocates um actually i have a colleague of mine tanya de uh she says be an accomplice not an advocate so it's about being an active advocate so if i see somebody talking to you and, and saying something terrible, mm -hmm. I should intervene and say, hey, actually, that's not a cool thing that you're saying here. That's really mean and that's really cruel. And um, the research shows that if you have an active advocate, um, that is actually very effective at stopping the interaction from happening as well. Um, so stand up for your friends and use the tools at hand, I guess are the two pieces of advice. Yeah, I think um, that, you know, that makes sense from just a common sense perspective that we all, we all stick up for each other when, I mean, that, you know, if, if needed, that's why, that's why we have these groups, you know, these Facebook groups where we're all together or these professional organizations that is that so we can have each other's back, but it's so good to know that the research actually shows that it is effective. Yes, yes, it is effective. More so, effective than me just being like, stop. Yeah, or yeah. or answering her. Because sometimes yeah. you just, you don't, and sometimes you just don't have the mental energy to get into it, right? And then think it's, about it. It's almost never, it's, you're not going to change their minds. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost never worth your mental energy to get into it, especially if it's just like anonymous stranger on the internet, then I'm going to yeah. say it's never worth your mental energy. Because no matter what you say, like the, their mind has, pretty much been made up at that point. Um, and so for your own mental health, I would advise um, to not engage generally. So don't engage, but, but how, then how do you stick up for when you see it's happening? Oh, well, that, that's, a, well, that's true. That's a good point. But that's not you engaging. That's your friend engaging on your yeah. behalf thing. Yeah. And is, right. it, is there a difference between engaging and just saying like, you, you know, like sh saying something to shut it down? You know, that's yeah, like, yeah, like don't think you're going to change their mind on a certain position, right. but it's something to call them out as in your behavior is unacceptable, right? That's what's ad that's yeah. the advocating for your friend. Like what you're saying is unacceptable in any context um, to try and stop it. Okay, got it. Interesting. Oh, the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's so good and so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, so you're doing so much. So I, I don't know, like you've already explained a lot of what you're doing, but do you have anything else on the horizon this year besides the calendar and all of your projects that you've told us about and your, and your upcoming, all of your upcoming, your nonprofit and yeah, I mean, that's a lot. I'm excited to go to the space gala. Uh, for you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Yay. I'm excited to be yeah, there. Yeah. I, I really wanted to go to that. Oh my gosh. It looks, it looks so much fun, but, but Juno Jones is sponsoring and Hazard Girls were sponsoring. Oh yay! Yeah, awesome. have you met have you met Kaylee? 
No, I have not. Oh, you'll you'll love meeting her. She's so much fun. Yeah, I'm very much. That's going to be the the cherry on the on the cake of the year is is going to that. And my mom is going to join me, which is very exciting. Oh, nice. Oh, that's yeah. great. So, are all the princesses going in in costume? No, no. But I did get <laughs> you know spoiler alert. I did actually order a very cute Alice and Olivia dress that Ooh. is very is yellow and it's Ooh. like Belle inspired. So oh, uh, okay. So it's on point. It's on point. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, so where's the best place for our listeners to find you? If we've got your YouTube channel, Psych Guys. Psych Guys, uh, you can find me on YouTube. I, um, You can go to my website, which is rcohort.com to learn more about my work. And I pretty much live on Twitter at okay. Dr. Cohort, D-R-K-O-W-E-R-T. It's my home away from home. So if you're really looking for me, you can find me there. Well, Dr. Rachel Cohort, world-renowned research psychologist and author expert on the uses and effects of digital games on mental health and reinvented magazine princesses with power tools calendar princess thank you so much for joining us today on the hazard girls podcast and thank you for being such a great role model and for all the amazing work that you're doing around women and girls in gaming and gaming and mental health and also um just in general girls in the media yeah well thank you thank you so much for having me it's been great You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.